0: Hey, it's Ryan. Could you stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast? Visit iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or virtually any available podcast directory to find a Minor Detail podcast and click subscribe. Welcome to a Minor Detail Podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host. I report on Maryland political news at a minordetail.com. We're a small, scrappy, upstart multimedia outlet in Maryland. We're ferociously fair and painstakingly independent. This year, A Minor Detail and its podcast turns five years old. This isn't your typical boring political podcast. We keep it fresh. We talk about the trendy news in Maryland politics. We keep politicians honest, and we try to make sense of the news. We don't bullshit you on this podcast. You'll get the news straight up, no chaser. This is episode 271. Progressive activist Richard Deshaies Elliott joins A Minor Detail podcast for a special announcement. There he is, the man himself.
1: Hello, Ryan. Hey, Sorry, man. The, the Zoom link finally opened. I just restarted my computer, so it took-
0: What's going on, brother? How's, it, how's, uh, how's life treating you? Uh,
1: good, I have an extra month and some change to finish my graduate classes at Johns Hopkins. I just had a paper put into Maryland Matters today about a full criminal justice agenda, mm-hmm. and I am happy to come on with Ryan because I am announcing my candidacy for delegate in the Maryland General Assembly.
0: Wow. So not only are you going to be finishing your doctorate's degree, you'll be Dr. Richard DeShay Elliott. No, no,
1: no, just master's degree. I'll Uh, be finishing just the master's degree.
0: And then you're going to move on to the PhD?
1: I'll finish that eventually, but I changed the program at Hopkins to a terminal master's.
0: Okay. So that's pretty cool. And you just announced, if anybody is just tuning in, You just announced that you are running for the Maryland House of Delegates. And how old are you?
1: I am 24 right now.
0: Would that make so if you get elected, (laughs) I think you would tie somewhere between Julian Ivey as being one of the youngest members ever.
1: Yep, I would. uh, The two youngest were Julian and Ben Cardin. They were both elected, I believe, at 21, (laughs) maybe 22, 21 or 22. But I would be in happy company with the youngest black delegate, to my knowledge, in the United States history, Delegate Julian Ivy, a close friend and ally.
0: Yeah, I know that you're a good friend of mm-hmm. Julian Ivy. And so, Richard, in what portion of the state would you be running? What district specifically?
1: Mm-hmm. OK, so I'm from Prince George's County. That's a surprise to a lot of people who think I'm from Baltimore. <laughs> uh, currently, the assumption is that I would be running in District 24, but pending redistricting, redistricting could change a lot. It could be in a neighboring district or for a a different office. But the assumption at this moment is delegate in District 24.
0: District 24, (laughs) and who is the state senator and who are the current incumbents?
1: Okay, the senator is Joanne Benson, has been in office quite a long time. Uh, Delegate Eric Barron, first elected in 2014. Delegate Jazz Lewis, first appointed, I believe, in 2017, got elected in 2018. And Andrea Harrison, former county councilwoman, uh, first elected in 2018 as well.
0: All Democrats. All Democrats. So you're... Different
1: types of Democrats for me, but they're all Democrats.
0: And I just wanted everyone to be aware who is just turning, tuning in now to this podcast, which is a minor detail podcast, and I encourage you to subscribe on Spotify and iTunes, and stop what you're doing right now and go to your app. Richard DeShay Elliott, who is Maryland's foremost, I think so, leading progressive activist, has announced that he is seeking a seat in the Maryland House of Delegates, potentially in District 24, and the state of Mar- which is uh, Prince George's County. So, Richard, you probably, if, you know, if people are watching right now. Uh, from Annapolis and maybe Calvert County you may have just given s- i mean god god bless right you know the you may have just given some of the Annapolis folks a, a heart attack because like me who is an outsider a disruptor you and i get along so well because i think we understand that there is a political machine that runs the state of Maryland right Right. (laughs) And so you're not they're not always your biggest fans and you're not theirs.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, This is where you, me, Francho, many other people who are outsiders in Maryland come to agree that the way Maryland is run between the monopolies of BGE, Comcast and Verizon, uh, the unnecessarily high property tax rates, the flat uh, tax structure. On a lot of things, it just it does. It's not good for the people of the, of the state. It's not good for growth. It's not good for businesses. It's not good for workers. It's good for people who have lobbyists who already have their wealth and who get to play that three months in Annapolis, run back home, make plenty of money off of it, and don't care that the way session is structured is good for the status quo.
0: Yeah, I I I think that you're certainly on to something there. And in the state of Maryland, we know how politics are played, and I think it's played out in many cases. But I'm interested. Why? Why now? Why are this? It seems early.
1: Uh, in my opinion, the only way that we can create a massive, massive uh, change in Annapolis is by having many insurgents running all across the state all at once showing that there's no district where the incumbent is so beloved that they're that they're beyond voting out, uh, making sure that every candidate has to run on their own merits. We saw in the 2018 uh, Senate primaries when Mary Washington, Jill Carter, Corey McRae, Antonio Hayes took on incumbent senators, uh, they all won because when they all ran at once, there wasn't enough money or enough people to keep those four senators still in office.
0: Yeah. So yeah. we,
1: if we replicate that model across the state, that could create enormous change within the Democratic Caucus in one election.
0: You know, you mentioned Joanne Benson as the state senator in District Twenty Four. You know where she's originally from, right? Where Hagerstown. <laughs> I I'm, did
1: not know that.
0: She's she's a Hagerstown girl, and uh, I'm 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 proud of that because my hometown has. Uh, <clears throat> let me say, how do I say this politically? Well. Paul Quarterman does a great job, but my hometown is also represented by people like Neil Parrott. So mm-hmm. there's a and
1: maybe next time, maybe next time an enterprising restaurant owner may be taking down Neil Parrott. Who knows? Year 2022 <laughs> is going to have lots of surprises.
0: Well, 2022 certainly will. And but it's no surprise now that you're running for public office. Is this the first time you've officially announced this? I think it is.
1: Uh, I put out an article earlier of a criminal justice agenda for Maryland matters. Within that piece, I announced that I'd be a candidate for the 24th district. And I knew that it was only, it was only right to go to a small media outlet in Maryland, (laughs) give them a proper introduction, a proper interview and get some interesting questions. I'd be happy with others, but I, I have a relationship with you. So I'm happy to start with a minor detail.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And that means a lot to me. And, we might be smaller, but people know who the hell we are now, right?
1: <laughs> right.
0: I mean, as as much as we've disrupted and called out a lot of the, the bullshit of, of Maryland politics, and that's kind of how I wanted to form this show, and as the bastard stepchild of the Annapolis <laughs> press room... I'm okay being that. They want to call me a blogger fine. I'll blog the shit out of them. If they want to call me just a a lowly little podcaster that nobody listens to fine, they should come look at my analytics and see how much this show has exploded in the last three years. Um, and it's and it's partially because of people like yourself and people uh, from the the uh, you know, like Lynn Foxwell who's helped promote this show, people who understand, I think Maryland politics but are, dissatisfied with the current status quo and people ask me well how do you do this how do you keep going you know they want to say oh nobody listens to you not not so much anymore and I'm I'm proud of what you have accomplished by um, dipping into to to electoral politics but you know I have to ask you Richard it's a it's a contentious time in American politics The, the the nation's presidency is is on the ballot this fall, I think the nation's heart and soul is really on the ballot and we have to determine what kind of country we want to be and whether that's with um your least favorite Democrat ever, Joe Biden. Cause... I
1: don't know if he's my least favorite ever, mm-hmm. but he eats up there. Who is I your... will acknowledge right now that I have I've come to the agreement as well that regardless of my personal disagreements with Joe Biden on many policies, that under this pandemic especially Trump's real danger has been exposed. And if Angela Davis and Noam Chomsky can say in good faith that they'll vote for Joe Biden, I think that people, especially people in swing states should be supporting for Joe Biden.
0: Even AOC and Bernie Sanders, who you mm-hmm. supported and you campaigned for, you were you advocated for, including alongside many other progressives in the state of Maryland. And, you, you know, I, there was a time during this I, I would say 4 or 5 months ago I was up in New Hampshire and I was I was leaving New Hampshire and I talked to my wife on the way down and of course New Hampshire is 8 hours away. We didn't talk all 8 hours but she said, "Well, how do you think Biden's going to do?" And I said, "I think he's going to lose big time." And he did. I think he came in fifth place in New Hampshire. Yeah. And it was miserable. And she said, "Is this the end?" And I said, "It could be." I said, "It would how embarrassing would it be for a former vice president to 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 call it quits?" after the second, or the first in the nation primary, but he got clobbered in New Hampshire. He then went on, I think we, Nevada, I think yeah, it was... He, se-
1: came in, he came in second in Nevada. He got like 30-ish percent. Bernie had like 55-ish percent, yeah. I believe.
0: But for, for many of the progressives who were very much in support of Bernie Sanders, and it wasn't necessarily they were against Biden, they, he just had an active base. He had a an active group of of really hardcore supporters who believe in the message, who carried that into many of their own successful elections, and so Richard, are you going to take the same sort of Sanders platform and run that in this in your district, wherever it may be after redistricting?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I have a uh, I'll call it a slide that has a full platform and other information on it. And giving that slide out, I have already been endorsed by virtually all the congressional insurgents, lots of youth leaders, plenty of people. I think all in all, it's probably about 80 or so endorsements Mm. showing that it's not just about the platform. People also respect that we now have statewide recognition of the things that we need to focus on. I think that myself, you and a lot of others think that we pay way too much for our electricity, for our internet, for our housing. And if we reduce the cost of those, isn't that good for homeowners, good for workers, and good for businesses?
0: Yeah, good point. Um, And we'll get into some policy. And I think people will be Mm -hmm. fascinated to know your platform. But those who do know you know where you stand. And Mm -hmm. I'm hoping tonight you can explain. You are a self-avowed democratic socialist. Yep. What does that mean?
1: For me, that means that there should not be profit-seeking on things that directly relate to human life, On, on medicine, on food, on housing, on education. Those are not enterprises. Those are human rights. And the state should be doing everything they can to administer them at minimum cost and for maximum effectiveness.
0: Okay. For instance,
1: I I would strongly support an interstate compact with uh, with other states that would be willing to provide universal health care, because the thing that has held back universal health care, for instance, in Vermont, was there wasn't a big enough grouping of people to cover it. So if we could, for instance, with California, Vermont, New York, and Virginia provide universal health care and start to build that out, that would be an enormous building block to universal health care in the United States.
0: What do you say to the incumbents who say, okay, uh, Elliot here, he's running, he's a young guy, he's he's a graduate student, he might not have a whole lot of experience, but you've worked with some pretty heavy hitter candidates in the state of Maryland, and you know what's coming. You know that they're going to do everything in their power to, yeah. to hit you over the head with um, – the inexperienced card. Uh, they're going to talk about your, uh, you know. I think they're just going to paint you as a as a far left guy, and I think that's f- yeah. fair. But look, we've seen a lot of insurgent candidates prosper. Be, be, and I will tell you, and you know this better than I do, because you've worked on these campaigns. The insurgents work harder. They work longer. No, they work. They, have sp- to. they work smarter. And and I I was sitting in Wet City. In 2018, in June, during the primary with Lynn Foxwell, when we had uh, much worse equipment that it didn't work, and Lynn was on his, like, fourth or fifth beer. He, he claims he was drunk, and we watched we watched the incumbent protection racket one by one get slaughtered on election night with insurgent incumbents in Baltimore City and down in, uh, you know, the, the guy that was supposed to succeed, Mike Miller— and as Senate President, one by one, they they were taken out, and because they worked harder and they worked smarter, and I think people were tired of the establishment politics.
1: Yep, uh, in this like post twenty eighteen moment, with uh, the jealous nomination, the successful reelection, and the most votes ever by a candidate from Franco, uh, the the Michaela Wilkes, the Sheila Bryant, the Maxwell Bureau. Uh, the, the Mia Mason congressional campaigns, we have a moment right now where we can unite people from all of these parts of the state uh, with, I'm not going to say the same platform, but with the same ideas in mind. And that wave is going to completely change Annapolis. And I think is going to, is going to sweep Michaela Wilkes into the congressional delegation as well.
0: At some point, because she lost, but I think she lost pretty badly in this Last she
1: time. got uh, she got roughly thirty percent in twenty 2020. twenty. In twenty twenty two, with significantly less voters, with a lot more ideological voters, and with uh, a whole lot more time and energy and down ballot support to build up for her, her campaign, I think in twenty twenty two, Michaela Wilkes has a very good shot.
0: You think she'll run again?
1: She, I, I'm endorsing her in my announcement because I know that she is running again in District 5.
0: So this is exciting. And when you decide to put your... Have you ever run for office prior?
1: Uh, I've been... I, I ran as a Bernie Sanders delegate across the 7th Congressional District, but that would be it. And in that office... In that position, or that uh, place on the ballot, I got 13,500 votes across the 7th District.
0: And did, did you win?
1: I, I did not... No. From Maryland... Bernie did worse or excuse me, Joe Biden did better in Maryland than he did in Delaware, as far as I can tell thus far. Do you there an- were no Sanders delegates?
0: Do you anticipate in the district, wherever it might be and for uh, just for kicks right now? We'll say it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be District 24. I'm assuming that have you had any conversations with the incumbents? Do they all plan to run? And what are their thoughts about your election race? I- and if you care?
1: Uh I've spoken with Delegate Eric Barron, I have a pretty good relationship with him. Uh, He said good luck, he said I'm in the race for the right reasons, Uh, and I'm going to continue speaking with him. I have no relation, I don't know Andrea Harrison at all. I didn't know what she looked like until really about a year ago. And Jazz Lewis has known I'm running for a while, he is pretty close with some people I'm close with, I was hoping that he would reach out to me to discuss this campaign. Uh, I'm still waiting for him to reach out if he wishes to. uh, I acknowledge right now that Eric Barron and Jazz Lewis almost certainly will both be reelected, assuming they run for the same office. Hmm. For Andrea Harrison, because of the manner in which she won, because she has not done particularly much in Annapolis, and because uh, the people who helped sweep her into power are really on the run, uh, like out of the Prince George's County Council and out of the State House. I think Andrea Harrison is quite vulnerable to a primary challenge, but I'm not, I'm not going to try, I'm only asking for one vote in that district, and between Sanders voters, progressives, the young people, a lot of whom I still know from high school and are supporting me, there is a great opportunity to win with a single shot campaign in District 24.
0: (laughs) So I wanted to make mention to our audience who are listening tonight, and if you're just tuning in, Richard Shea Elliott is running for Maryland State Delegate in District 24. It could change after redistricting. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going to happen, but no less, you're going to find his name on a ballot for state office in 2022, and he wants to head down to Annapolis. You'll get, you know, one of those big cushy offices with...
1: (laughs) I'll have a small one, but you can come interview me in it.
0: Nice. Okay. I'm, I'm, uh,
1: sure, I'm sure they'll give me the rattiest closet they can find, <laughs> but but that will not hamper my performance as a legislator.
0: No, that's good, and no, but you know, some of the legislators that I know hardly spend any time in their office anyway. The nicer
1: the office, the less time you got to spend there.
0: That's right. The Senate offices are a little bit different. They're nice. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, When I spoke with Senator Sidner, he said, uh, moving on up. That was what he said going from the House offices to the Senate offices.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, for anybody who's listening as well, you know, it's it's funny how politics, as they say, makes strange bedfellows. And it's true because Richard and I, um, we 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 had a sort of a weird relationship in the very beginning. Um, We didn't really like each other. And. (laughs) We like butted heads because he was jealous and I did some hard-hitting reporting on Ben Jealous and Richard mm. knocked thousands of doors for, was it like 2,000 for Ben Jealous? Yeah. And I knocked
1: about 2,000 for Ben Jealous in South Baltimore, yeah.
0: Yeah, you were all in and uh, I, I of course, Mr. Jealous lost and um, he's gone on to, to do some other adventures and we'll see what happens next for him, but uh, finally... Richard and I, we reconciled and said, hey, listen, we have similar interest in state politics. We know all the same people. Why can't we just be friends, even if we uh, have some fundamental disagreements on issues? And then Richard has become really uh, the voice of reason, even within some of the progressive circles who like vowed never to ever support Joe Biden, regardless if, if he was like the last guy on earth. But I see that there... You know, it's interesting, Richard, I think that you certainly have a, prag- a, pragma- a pragmatism side to you. Um, and I know that you are steady in your ideals, but uh, I think you sometimes see certain functions of how things work. It doesn't mean that you relent in your values, it doesn't mean you acquiesce, it just means that you sometimes see the reality of a certain situation, and you yep. and you can approach it in a, in a way that isn't certainly dogmatic or idealistic, knowing that it's a lost cause. And that's that's important, because you're going to have bills where y- you get elected. You're going to have that opportunity to be pragmatic at times. Yeah. Do you want to—I uh, was going to say, do you want to build relationships with the leadership? Do you—or uh, people are going to see you as a an insurgent-style candidate, and there's nothing wrong with that per se at all. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when when they see you, they're going to see a young guy who's clearly got a lot of campaign experience— He's one of the most skilled people of putting together a serious policy platform. Uh, and for anybody who's wondering what that means, Richard has drafted multiple policy platforms that are uh, way ab- beyond his years. Um, so w- w- do you want to make friends with anybody who is you know currently part of the the machine or do you uh, how do you want to interpret that? How do you want to approach them?
1: I like that question, okay. Um, well, from the announcement list thus far, I already have endorsements, I think, from four 2018 Democratic nominees in red areas. So, I, like, I, I'll, I'll work with people, but I'll make it clear that, and I, as I've made it clear for a long time, I know my policy positions, I know that there's gonna be extreme, extreme difficulty and getting even parts of them passed. But it will be very important to have a relationship with the Speaker. I I was at the conference where Adrian Jones endorsed Derek Davis for the Speaker. Adrian Jones knows me. Adrian Jones's people know me. And for Bill Ferguson, I have a relationship with him. I've spoken with him before. In order to get legislation passed through Annapolis, I'm not gonna shut the door to them as I hope they don't shut the door to me, but I'll make it clear from day one what I wanna get accomplished. And, And that's why Right now, I'm pursuing as much broad base of support for a 24-year-old black democratic socialist in Prince George's County to show that I can can make a coalition anywhere in the state. I think I have endorsers right now from 12 jurisdictions, from four or five different states. Uh, Delegates from the Biden, Sanders, Warren, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and Yang campaigns. Hmm. If that's not a broad base of coalition showing that people can respect my intelligence, my uh, my desire to do hard work and my steadfast values, I don't know what there is. Well, if Adrian Jones or Bill Ferguson is listening. They can call me tomorrow and I'll talk to them.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's that takes a lot of maturity. Uh, some people look, some people go to Annapolis for, I think, all the right reasons because they have the heart of a policymaker. Uh, some people go because they like elected politics. Some people go and and run for public office because they want to push back the clock. Uh, some people want to go to Annapolis to, to get absolutely nothing done but seek higher office. And I'm looking at you, mm-hmm. Neil Parrott, who's gotten <laughs> – and, and, and really from a, a journalistic point of view, if you looked at someone like Neil Parrott's record up in Western Maryland, you're going to say – you've been in office since 2011, you're running now for Congress, and who knows what's gonna happen in another four years or two years with him, but mm-hmm. you gotta say like, what did you really get done? What is your legacy? What did you do to make Maryland a better place? And you, there are delegates who have been in office for two years now who can answer that question with authority and conviction and credibility yeah. And then you look at someone like Neil Parrott, who was the only guy out of uh, the entire Maryland House of Delegates to cast a ballot against Adrian Jones. He realized his massive error. I watched all of this unfold because I was standing right next to him when it happened. I, was,
1: I, I missed that day, unfortunately. I wish I was there. I think I was busy.
0: May 1st, 2019, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> Mike Mike McKay, Parrott walks back over and looks at Mike McKay and He's like, shut I didn't hear their discussion, but my understanding is he's like, well, should I make – should I change my vote? Parrott basically ran up the aisle and looked <laughs> at Shalega, and I th- he changed his vote um, so that, you know, he didn't be – he wasn't the 140th or 100 – you know, you, you, know, you want to be the white male from Western Maryland to vote against the first African-American female speaker in the history of the state. It's like, dude, what a douchebag. And <laughs> – I hate using that, but you got to look at them and like, what the hell is wrong with you? Um,
1: There's a lot of people who uh, both I'll say from the far right and from the lazy middle who are able to float down the river in Annapolis, are able to get there because they can get campaign contributions or this is really important in this state. A lot of people don't really know how to run a campaign. Mm-mm. If you are you know, any, any, any Joe Schmo and you can get a campaign manager with experience, that puts you worlds ahead of a lot of people when you run for delegate or when you run for senator. So a lot of people, when, when they're able to posture through negative campaigning, they're able to get prime positions in leadership or on committees, and they, they outweigh their talents. They outweigh their coalition growing ability. They outweigh their policy. It outweighs all of their qualifications. There are there are several people like that. Luckily, I think a lot of those folks are being swept out of Annapolis now uh, because there's less people to protect them. But that is a, a a that is a real phenomenon of people who are in Annapolis, who are there, I'd say more or less for personal PR who don't necessarily stand for anything and aren't there because they're qualified. That's they're there because they had money or because they had a popular last name.
0: Well, I know you, you're not claiming to be uber rich, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, have, you have the smarts, you have the conviction, you have the drive, and you certainly have a hell of a policy platform. And I'm looking at it now, and is it— is it okay if we talk about some of this?
1: Please, and I want to know how you, because I know you're a libertarian.
0: No, or not you. Well, I, I wouldn't say.
1: Go ahead and describe it.
0: I don't know where I am. I change daily, and and I, I th- you know, you ever come to a point, and I and I respect you because you clearly know where you are, and I think that for me, it's been a. It's been a transformation over the years politically. And I, you know, I try not to talk about my personal politics too much because they don't really matter. Um, you know, I, I don't honestly know where I am today, Richard. I think that I am uh, – I think I would describe myself similar to how Peter Franco may, which is mm-hmm. a, a fiscal moderate, you know, someone who leans center-right on fiscal issues – but someone who is socially progressive, because uh, like you, I believe in, I believe in develop having healthcare access to all. I just don't know the right way yet to get there. I mm-hmm. I believe in competitive public schools. I believe that teachers and uh, firefighters and frontline medical staff are the core of our country. Um, but I'm also I'm also content with. Republicans like Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney. So I don't. I know that's crazy, and and I'm I'm perfectly content with uh, with Democrats um, who also disrupt the machine. And if that they so happen to be progressive, then I'll go with that. So I guess I'm all over the map, and you really can't peg me. But I think what you and I share in common, Richard, is that we believe in in uh, public officials who take seriously the job, uh, mm-hmm. who believe in integrity. Uh, we don't like corruption. <laughs> no. We, we don't like when, um, you know, there's regress. We don't like regressive taxation.
1: Nope. I think that's probably the one we agree with on the most regressive tax. Like I, I pledge right now and forever flat and regressive uh. taxation is my biggest enemy in Annapolis.
0: Yeah. And, and, it, and it happens a lot in, in Annapolis. And I think we're tired of we're, we're tired of normal everyday people being made to feel like they don't have a seat at the table in Annapolis. And, you know, yeah. yeah and I never I hate the party system.
1: I, <laughs> I don't the, I don't blame you. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. I'm a Democrat by lack of options.
0: Yeah, I'm a registered independent because it's just easier because I don't necessarily agree with all platforms. And I I feel like someone like yourself, you would be open if you found an issue for which you agreed with someone and you really, really supported that. I don't think you would give a damn which political party they were in.
1: Yep, I, I actually for direct experience, I wrote a bill with Delegate Stewart. It was introduced last year to uh to stop corporate subsidies through the Maryland budget. For that bill it'd been introduced uh, David Moon worked on something similar. We reached out with uh Republican delegates in Virginia who would introduce similar legislation and that was part of the guidance into how to write the bill.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm looking at your policy platform and it's 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 extensive. I mean, my goodness, um I would be happy if I got two or three of these out of certain candidates and i'd be happy if you know you know you look at congressional candidates like kim Klasik, you'd be happy if she could count to 10 and chew gum at the same time um god bless her but you know i'm looking at you obviously support the green new deal for mm-hmm. for maryland I'd which say, it,
1: i'd say that's my marquee issue i i think that maryland is in a position where we can get rid of the monopolies of bge uh, and the other power providers. We can provide the lowest cost power in the country. We can make solar farms and wind farms and hydroelectric farms. We can make union jobs. Like, I, where I live in Baltimore, where I live right here, where you're seeing the uh, the internet or the electricity bill every month is about $110. And this is just like a townhouse. My grandparents' house, uh, much much larger, you know, a, a buoy McMansion, you could say. Their electricity bill is five dollars. Wow. Five dollars. If Maryland had the cheapest cost of living, the cheapest electricity rates, the cheapest internet, the best internet, wouldn't businesses want to come here? Yeah, I think because so. That's that's a problem that we genuinely have. There are no businesses really in Maryland. Everybody who works here generally works either for the state government the local government, the municipal government, and agency somehow attached to them. We do genuinely need businesses to come into Maryland and quality education, quality transportation, lower cost of operation is the best way to get them here in my book.
0: And one of your platforms that I'm looking at, one of your key items is point eight. And I want to bring this up. You call for clean campaign finance, which would be <laughs> The banning of political donations by developers, all people are going to love this, LLCs, lobbyists, and corporate PACs in Maryland, and establishing public financing of state elections. Richard, do you think that that's a plausible path to get there? And if developers want to donate to a candidate, wouldn't they say that if they passed a bill that it would violate their, their First Amendment right to do so?
1: Uh, sure, I, I, I think one way that could be retooled potentially, this is just a potential uh, on broaching the idea is that if developer if any of those entities that I, I would call them the conflict of interest groups, by definition, those groups have a conflict of interest in donating to campaigns and then trying to lobby. If those groups, instead of donating to individual campaigns, donated directly into a, a clean campaign finance fund, that would match for people. There isn't as much of a conflict of interest, but right now, especially in Prince George's County, the elections are as simple as the developers know who their ticket is, the developers pay into the slate, the developers fund the mail, the people on the mail wins. It's, I, I say that there are really no elections in Prince George's County for that reason. But if we were to implement the same small dollar financing system that they have in Montgomery, that they're moving towards in Baltimore city, for the state offices, then anybody will be able to run. I, that needs to be paired with some other reforms. For instance, I strongly support single-member districts.
0: Ah, glad but you brought getting, that up.
1: But getting the uh, getting those conflict of interest groups out of the do- the direct donations will do a lot for changing how people need to campaign.
0: Good points, uh, and I understand that when lobbyists give money, that always they say, well, it's not attached with anything, and the and the answer, sadly, is that's just not true. Uh,
1: if there's nothing to hide, then show the emails thereafter. If that's <laughs> the case, lobbyists can show their emails to the delegates from when session starts to when session ends.
0: Wouldn't that be interesting for all lobbyists to keep a book, mm-hmm. a log, so to speak, of where they met them, what kind of dinners that mm-hmm. uh, the delegations and. Uh, Where You know, how much they spend at Ruth's Chris. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, everybody knows. Everybody knows. A night at Ruth's Chris is the is the bio.
0: It's 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 a lot of money. And, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with lobbyists either. I know some really good ones. And I think there's some really true, truly decent people who have gone into lobbying for all the right reasons. But shifting directions, you talked about single-member districts, and that's a big one. I think that single-member districts could be one of the defining campaign platforms and issues for many candidates moving into 2022. And someone like Peter Franchot, who's running—who's announced and that he's running for governor, has yep. really—he's gotten a head start. He strongly supports single-member districts, and what that means is currently in the state of Maryland— Each member of the House—well, most members of the House of uh, District—House of Delegates uh, are—they're like—there's three of them, like where I am. I live in District 17. We have three state delegates to our district, and I'm in—it encompasses Gaithersburg and Rockville, and then we have a state senator. But I would have my own state delegate, which is basically a way to say no more incumbent protection rackets.
1: right. Uh, I argued, I wrote a piece in Maryland Matters for that uh, something like a year ago, a uh, Comptroller Franco echoed it. Mm-hmm. If there were single member districts, instead of having these huge, sprawling three member districts uh, where three people, where, where two people generally run behind one so mm-hmm. that nobody, so that the slate master doesn't lose, in uh, 125,000 member districts that are enormous, that cost tens of thousands of dollars to run across you have single member districts, a person really of any of any party could, in theory, win if somebody did the work. Uh So I I acknowledge openly that if there were single member districts, there would be a Republican sub district, probably in northwest Baltimore City, probably in uh, the waterfront Baltimore City, probably in Glen Burnie. But the gains that independent or progressive Democrats would have would be well worth the potential losses.
0: What would be the argument against that? How would How would someone opposed to single member districts uh, Yeah, it, I guess the argument would be, oh well, it would be hard to change the district numbers. Uh, but you know, you could say, hey, I'm in district 7 or I'm the representative for district 17A. and, mm-hmm. and they, they would have to carve out the very specific territories. I think it's completely doable, and I don't understand why right. more...
1: And, and, it, and it's been done. It's been done in multiple states. Uh, in Up until the 60s, most states had districts like that. But now it's maybe there's eight or so in Maryland. Only Maryland, West Virginia, and New Hampshire have districts with three members. Yeah. And that's just why. The, if, why is a good question.
0: It's a and, great it's question.
1: To answer your question of how people defended the only explanation I've seen is that it hurts racial representation, and I argue now, and I'll argue for anybody else, the way that that Black folks are represented in Maryland is not necessarily by Black elected officials who we largely have chosen. A lot of people are not registered Democrats. A lot of people don't vote in the primaries. A lot of people can't afford to run if they wanted to. Because the districts are so enormous and campaign knowledge is harder to come across than gold in some parts of the state.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the district you're running in, it's pretty solidly Democratic, correct?
1: Yep. The district is 83 percent black per the last census. It's one of the bluest districts in the state. Solidly went for Ben Jealous, Solidly went for Obama. Uh, the issue in that district is not going to be ideology. Or, or even what the other candidates say, it's going to be how many voters can I talk to? Mm-hmm. And I have put up a record in the past few years showing that I am one of the best, if not the best individual uh, campaign door knocker in the state. I'll put my record up with anybody else's for conversion rate and in multiple regions of the state.
0: Uh, you certainly got involved with many of the progressives in the state of Maryland, including Jill Carter, who ran for mm-hmm. Congress in the seventh congressional district.
1: Hi, Jill. I hope you're watching. <laughs> She's
0: probably busy. I haven't talked to Jill oh. <laughs> in a couple of months, but I, I'm 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 sort of excited to to get her back on to get her reflection mm-hmm. of the the seventh district. Um, and you've uh, you've put your neck out on the line for a lot of the candidates. Some have fared well. Some have not. And mm-hmm. but I do see in the state of Maryland what is transpiring is there's a young group of us and i'm and you said you're 24 i'm 34 i'm i got 10 years that's, on
1: that's still pretty young as far as Maryland politics if you're under 50 that's young
0: that's true um you know we have uh you know the next governor of, of the state of Maryland you know peter peter franco although he doesn't look it i think he's in his he's in his early 70s, and he's a pretty young, he's a young guy. Uh, He's
1: definitely energetic. I will always give him that. He can go to event after event.
0: Would you vote for Peter in a primary, for a a gubernatorial primary?
1: I will say that under the event that Ben Jealous does not run for governor, I am almost certainly voting for Peter Francho in the primary, and I will be happy to assist his administration in undoing and draining the swamp in Annapolis with his uh, long list of administrative appointments, uh, including the people's service, the public service commission.
0: Well, I I think that that's, <laughs> that'll be interesting. Do you, do you, do you gather that jealous is eyeing a second run for governor?
1: Uh, I honestly, as of yet, I have no real gauge. Um, if Ben were to run again, I simply would want to know, uh, when he's running, his team is going to be his 2018 primary campaign was pretty good uh but there are there are many many critiques that people could have both from inside and outside of the campaign whether you know the fact that there weren't door knockers embedded within the apparatus the many many ways that the bush and miller the mike and mike machine uh direct deliberately did not help them regardless of whether you think that he did or didn't do a good job that campaign showed that this state has a long ways to go on some things, and that Ben I think could have won if he focused on what I think most Marylanders care about. People like you, I say, discontented, overly taxed suburbanites. You care <laughs> about traffic, you care about taxes, you care about the roads.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, that's a simplistic version of of the of where we stand, and in, and in, and in a generic one, but I. <laughs> For me, I mean, it's it, – really for me, living in Montgomery County is there are people like us who – my wife and I – and we feel like we just don't have a voice. And it's not necessarily because uh, there's bad or poor representation. It's just that there are people have been in office for so long, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a consortium of individuals who – who might be as progressive as possible, but they still back bad candidates. And I don't understand that. You know what I mean? It, and it happens.
1: It, Paul Pinsky was always the one introducing Mike Miller to, for the vote every session that he got reappointed. Paul Pinsky uh, says that he's one of the most liberal members of the Senate. But yes, that that's very important. People don't feel that they can step out and endorse who they want. And that's a problem of this kind of... Uh, like the Omerta culture and the <laughs> if, if you don't listen, you don't get right. culture. Yeah. Even even if somebody's really progressive and then they can't endorse who they want, what's the point?
0: See, that's the difference between yourself and many of the other Democrats who would be on a ballot. And I'm not you're I'm not saying that they're bad Democrats or, or bad Republicans. I, I think that there are people like yourself who if a fellow Democrat steps out and does something egregious, you're going to say so. You're not going to be beholden to this code of, as you said, omerta, where you say nothing, you see nothing, and you pretend like it doesn't happen. And I'll give you a core example to anybody who is listening. I think that this is important, and this, is, mm-hmm. this is, defines who Richard is. Uh, when the Marianne Lasanti story broke last year during session, Richard was one of the first people who came out and said, she's got to go. And you, not only that, you went hard at it. And and you still say, why is she, this person in an office? I mean, she said something that was wrong. She admitted that it was wrong. And the right thing to do at the time was seemingly to resign. Now, she, I don't know how you would define her political career right now, whether she survived that or not. But she's clearly going to have a tough challenge ahead of her in 2022 yeah. by someone and whether she decides to run or not is for discussion and i don't i don't know i don't have any insight but there are democrats in annapolis who are progressive who toe the line but they have they put their blinders on and sometimes they just go along with the the machine they take a vote when they in their heart feel that it's not the right vote
1: Right. Uh, I I went like this was also during the Hopkins private police battle. So I was in Annapolis. I helped to distribute a draft expulsion letter. Uh, We got our friend comptroller Peter Francho to publicly call for her expulsion. Uh, And still, Mary Ann has stood and said, I'm not resigning. I'm not leaving. Uh, I'm going to, I'm at this stage, I'm certain that she's going to run for reelection. And it's indicative that. There are plenty of people there. There's progressive Democrats. There's there's black Democrats from Prince George's Derek Eugene Davis, the chair of economic matters, is a donor of Marianne, has taken pictures of Marianne, who, uh, whether by choice or by lack of opportunity to go out of it, they stand with people who they never want to stand with. And these people do privately tell me at times that uh, that what I do makes it easier for them to rebel within the caucus. But it's indicative of a huge problem. Somebody can call an entire legislative district, a nigger district, hmm. in front of black legislators, in front of a potential comptroller candidate, uh, in front of a bipartisan, bi- uh, biracial crowd. And the only reason we found out was Ovita Wiggins did her homework. Yeah. What does it say about what probably else happens in the back room?
0: Yeah, Ovita Wiggins did do her homework. And of course a you're... salute to her. So, yeah, I mean... Her, from the if Washington she didn't Post. do that,
1: we'd never know. And may I say now that I am proud to have the endorsements of Saria Ben, who ran against her last time, along with Carlos Taylor, uh, Sabra Kurth, uh, who all are from the Harford County uh, anti Lasanti clique, I'll call it.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting way to describe it. And of course, there was another state delegate who had overheard it, but you mentioned the Code of Emerita because I've mm-hmm. been to that Annapolis cigar lounge that has since been closed. I think, permanently. Uh, I, have, I didn't know that. Yeah, I have been... I wonder
1: where they're going to meet now.
0: I don't know. I, I think that uh, if you want to smoke a cigar in Annapolis, there's always David's Cigar, which is on the outskirts of uh, the downtown proper. But there were some heavy hitters in that room on yeah. that night, and I know what happens up there. I, I, I have been up to that cigar lounge. I've smoked a cigar. I've sat in the company of uh of and they're good people too but y- you gotta wonder like okay maybe they want to maybe wanted they they wanted to, to deal with it internally and educate her but we know that is something a comment like that is not going to stay behind and yeah. I think it was actually a Republican who outed yeah, her
1: it, it, it was which is just, just the the dynamics of it are just baffling yeah they, white Republican from who is also from Harford County had to say that Marianne Lasanti, I think Brian Feldman, um, what's his name, Uh, Jay Walker and a few others. If that is happening there, I don't want to imagine the stuff that happens in the hotel rooms (laughs) or in the Airbnbs or at the after or at the after session dinners. Because it makes it clear that it's not even just, it's not Marianne. Marianne is not the problem. Marianne's just an individual dumbass who got outed. The problem is that you can't do things without getting in lots of trouble very quickly.
0: Theresa
1: Riley has, uh-huh. Teresa Riley was the only person who got in trouble. She's been denounced. I think that she might not even run for re-election because she's lost all of her friends.
0: Well, you know, that's the thing is they... They they know the difference between right and wrong, and you know if Lasanti you know she made this comment, and at first remember she tried to tiptoe around it, like oh I don't uh, you know, I don't
1: everybody said it or I didn't say it, and all the uh, her apology and the various newsletters according it are the best attack ads one would ever need.
0: Well, and there's there's that, and then she put
1: herself seven feet deep,
0: and and Richard. I, I'll I'll get blowback as I usually do, but <laughs> the same thing goes on in the the Annapolis press room. I hate going. I, I believe it. I hate going into that that shitty little cave, uh, that's dark and dingy. Because you walk in there and they're like, oh Christ, what the, what is Miner doing here? What what is he doing? God, they it's like the I'm like the Grim Reaper that walks in and they all turn and like they give me the eye and that's fine because
1: you don't you don't need access to do very informative journalism even for people i know who don't agree with you philosophically yeah they read your stuff because it's some of it's some of the only political information you can get
0: no, I and you and your that.
1: articles you, you cite your sources it connects to very good narrative and it's and it's not i wouldn't say it's directed individually at any person but it provides very good context of what's going on so for you like me, I'll say that. Like me, you don't need institutional uh, uh, acceptability in order to have access to information. No, I never and wanted that state, it. That's <laughs> me neither. I don't. Me neither. But I, in that state, that makes you very dangerous because for some other reporters, they need to be the first to get up to Mike yeah. or the first to get up to Bill in order to keep their thing going. <laughs> and there's and 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 I support very serious ethics reforms. So that in Annapolis we can have a public media outlet that can mm. just tell people here's the bills, here's who voted for what, here's who voted against what, here's the amendments, here's who introduced them, and here's what people said on the floor. But right now, even for me, and I'm a I'm a damn uh, political science graduate student, I have to read tea leaves in order to know what's going on sometimes. If it's like that for me, for people who are working nine, 10 hour days and are and never go to Annapolis, how are they supposed to know?
0: Yeah, and that's not to say that, I mean, there's some really quality, great A, wonderful journalists who have been doing their, yeah. their art, and I want to call it that because it is, because they put together narratives that inform us, and I'll give a lot of credit to Josh Kurtz of Maryland Matters. Same. Bruce put, yeah, uh, Josh has really uh, been able to accomplish a lot in, in, in a long time, but especially with Meryl Matter, Matters in a short period of time, I think it's the, mm-hmm. I definitely consider it the preeminent online news media outlet, and they have covered Absolutely. virtually everything, and people like Luke Broadwater, who took on some very tough stories and was relentless and fearless, I give him a lot of credit, and I congratulate him for moving to the New York Times from the Baltimore Sun, and um, and there's there's people there are people in the press room that you know that show up they write a story they're handed press releases and there's nothing wrong with that but it's not my style I've everything that I've built with a minor detail and just like you Richard I think this is why we are simpatico and we connect well is that everything that you have done in your personal political career it's never been handed you've never you never reached out to the institutional people and say please accept me. <laughs> um, you know, and because oh. I want access or I want money or I want this, uh, you never sucked up to people who, you, you know, and you, and you're a young, smart guy and you clearly could have done that and probably may have already been in office, but you chose to stick by your principles and your convictions. And, you know, if I get anything out of my Hagerstown upbringing, my parents have always taught me to, uh, to don't you don't have to fall in line with people do your own thing. And I, you do that. I know I do that. People like Lynn Foxwell, he does that. And a lot of the folks that are uh, working with Peter Francho, they do that. And Peter Francho is seen as like some form of an alien at times in front of because <laughs> right. he just kind of, you know, look, he's, he is who he is. He doesn't apologize for it. His people that work for him never apologize. And, uh, you know, Francho's not perfect. We know that, and he uh, he gets some blowback sometimes, and so does Lynn and some other members of the staff. But still, they do. I think they're involved in politics to really impact people's lives and and make a difference. And I I see that similarly with yourself and um, anybody who's idealistic. And with the the right type of motivation and the political courage and courage in general to run. It's hard. You know, you're up against a fight. I mean, this is tough. Oh, yeah.
1: And since since 1974, Prince George's has had this ballot called the Prince George's County Democratic Sample Ballot. Mm -hmm. In the first election that was used, there were about 70 offices up for election. Sixty seven of the establishment candidates won. It's had about a similar record of winning ever since. So the, the New York or the Chicago or the Boston political machines, <laughs> I don't think any of them are as strong as the Prince George's one. <laughs> and in that time, in that almost 50 years, it'll be 48 years old uh, in 2022 when I'm up on the ballot, there's only to my knowledge ever been one African-American who has beaten the slate to become a delegate. That's Gloria LaLa. Of District 26, but outside of that, in almost 50 years, nobody has won delegate. I don't believe anybody's won senator without the support of that ballot. Hmm. I am going to try to be the first African American male, and hopefully not to, to tie. I don't want to be the only. I want to tie with some others to be uh, to be some of the first to beat that slate and really destroy that machine. Because I know you would you would identify with this as a Montgomery County resident. Uh, Prince George's County has the only real industry is real estate. The the closeness to to D.C. is about the best value item. It is real estate in Prince George's is to oil in Alaska, to Hmm. quote former delegate Mahoney. (laughs) Because of that, the developers run everything. They've, They've successfully placed apartment dwellings all over the county, without adding necessary amounts of services. So the schools are overcrowded. Uh, The the cost of living has gone up steadily and steadily. And there's no real plan for the long-term in keeping the current residents, drawing new development that is equitably grown and preventing people from getting kicked out. Right now, as I see it, there's gonna be a tax hike referendum Uh, on the ballot this year, most likely. There's a vote for it in a week. Uh, To increase the property taxes in Prince George's by 10%. I don't agree with the property tax hike, but the main goal of it, in my opinion, is to gentrify and kick out a lot of these Black seniors who've already paid off their homes, who are on like a flat income, whether through Social Security, and I want to help protect those residents from gentrification from rising property taxes from rising cost of living that is in in that that goes directly against the interests of the Prince George's County Democratic machine
0: <laughs> amen i know that that's uh you know protecting seniors is it's so important vitally important mm-hmm. who should biden pick as his veep?
1: oh goodness um
0: who do you want
1: I- I would like for him to choose either a Nina Turner, or or hell, I think even Rashida to would be a good choice. Since okay. She represents Michigan. All right. Um,
0: here comes the, you know, here comes the 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 idealistic uh, Elliot coming out speaking who he was <laughs> to pick, but no, realistically, who's he gonna pick?
1: Um, off of what's happened recently, I think he's gonna end up choosing Susan Rice.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Uh, what about Kamala?
1: Um, I think that she's a harder, like for the same kind of reasons that Amy Klobuchar was negated as a VP. It's not just the George Floyd incident, but it's that Amy Klobuchar was a tough on crime prosecutor, tough on crime, uh, uh, attorney, uh, state's attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to decline Amy Klobuchar and then pick Kamala Harris, who, mind you, who called Joe Biden a segregationist in a presidential debate?
0: The first one.
1: In the first one, like I'm not arguing about the policy. I'm just talking about for the for the for the truth of it, for the consistency of the argument. Choosing Kamala Harris would be an odd choice. And well, and there's no reason now to pick her because you'd want her so that you could have a whole lot of California Democrats who aim for the seat who will throw money, who will throw support to the Biden ticket. They don't really need that now. Uh, I think that they're probably gonna choose Susan Rice. Val Demings is still a possibility, but just because the p- policing is the biggest issue in America right now for the first time, hell, since since you could say since, uh, since the Black Lives Matter movement started or since the 1960s, it would be a very weird choice to choose a prosecutor for the vice president's
0: office. But wouldn't Susan Rice, who has no elected experience and who was put through the ringer during her her tenure as national security advisor in the Obama administration, um, would people look that at that pick and say, well, oh, that's obscure, you know, she doesn't have any elected experience and there's people who ran actually for president and mm-hmm. um and but Biden likes her though. I
1: On the other side of that token of no election experience, there's, I think, a lot less risk. I'm going to call it risk. and That's not the actual word, but I'm going to call it risk on behalf of rising Democrats. That if Susan Rice is the VP, there's no guarantee that she'll become president thereafter. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are going to be looking at 2024, whether it's Pete Buttigieg Mm. or Nina Turner or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a lot of people are going to look at 2024 and think, Joe Biden's the candidate. It is what it is, like him or not. I just want a position where over these next four years, I can get the positioning where either I can become president or I can be in a a, a key administrative role for the next go-around. So Susan Rice is non-threatening because she's never held electoral. I mean, shit, where's Susan Rice's base? If anybody can answer that, I'll give you a dollar.
0: I, I don't know. I think it's <laughs> I, Biden already covers that because he has the national security credentials. Right. Right.
1: And uh, the, that, that's why I'm recommending a Nina Turner or a Rashida Tlaib or.
0: What about the uh, Mayor Lance Bottoms from Atlanta?
1: Um. I have. I'm. I'm not going to go in on her. My policy critiques of her, mm-hmm. but for what is going on in Georgia, where right now there's two open Democratic seats, I think Democrats will probably take one of those two seats.
0: Yeah, they could. Uh,
1: thereafter, Georgia is going to become the national battleground for both parties.
0: Yeah, it's a bellwether
1: uh, on all fronts. On 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 voting rights. On putting up candidates for Senate and getting money for them on all of these issues. Georgia is going to become the bellwether state. Hmm. And for that reason, it probably would make more sense that if Keisha Lance Bottoms uh, wants to ascend, that she run for the Senate uh, office when it opens up next go round
0: hmm. Well, that'll be fascinating to watch. And I know we'll we'll be watching it. But uh, who else for for who else do you think will run for governor in the state of Maryland?
1: Okay, so we've already established that Peter Franco is running, has, been, has made it known, uh, has a lot of people who love him, has a lot of people who hate him, but is all around just an interesting candidate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the others are David Trone, mm-hmm. um, a guy who has to pay $7 million per friend. Um, it's not really a sustainable lifestyle, in my opinion, uh, who's going to spend probably 30 plus million dollars on the governor's race if he does choose to run. I believe he will. Uh, Anthony Brown, Prince George's County Democrat, former lieutenant governor for Martin O'Malley. Uh, those are the candidates I've heard of for governor. And of those three, of those three, I will proudly be passing out literature with Peter Franco's name on it in Prince George's County. Because I don't want somebody who's beholden only to themselves economically or somebody who is only where they are because of the Prince George's County Democratic machine to ascend to the governor's mansion. If if (laughs) Francho wins, Francho's appointments, I'm not going to like all of them, but he's not just going to pick these retiring senators and delegates so Mm. that they can have a honeymoon gig before they go off on on, on the river. (laughs) And that's extremely important. The long-term continuity of Maryland politics—you yeah. knock it, you, these senators and delegates can't just retire and appoint their lackeys into their seats. That makes a huge issue for them to keep the machine going.
0: Well, that's that could not be more true. Richard Elliott, who is running for state delegate, announced this evening uh, officially on a minor detail podcast, and we appreciate it because, as he said earlier. Hey, these small independent media outlets need some love. And I know that you're going to share this video. I appreciate you coming on and being part of this show. You have a standing invitation to be here at any time. And look, we had fun on the night of the the primary election. Right. June.
1: I wish the the results came in on time. I do, too. But that, that was a great cast of people to talk with.
0: Yeah. And. That's the thing with uh, a minor detail podcast. We put together a a real cast of characters. It it is a combination of all types and uh, and stripes and people with varying different opinions and ideas. And we're going to keep doing that. I love these panel discussions, and we're going to
1: mm-hmm.
0: continue to to make that happen. Um, Richard, do you have a website up yet?
1: I do not. But for any information, if you look me up, either. If you go to my LinkedIn, there's a lot of my led like my bills, the pre-written bills are there, uh, and through my Facebook page, Richard DeShea Elliott, uh, you can find out plenty of more information. A website will be made later this year.
0: Good. Well, I see you have your press release out. You're going to get some more press. I'm sure you'll have some some print interviews. We'll turn this content into an article on a minor detail, and you can f- mm-hmm. soon. I will post the link to our video. Uh, to my Facebook page, which on Facebook, it's at a minor detail. And then I'll this will be widely shared. And then on the podcast, so you'll have the audio version. And then on YouTube as well. And as I continue to build all these platforms and spend time <laughs> trying to build them, uh, we're...
1: I understand.
0: You know how it goes, my friend. Yep. It, it takes a you gotta,
1: lot. You got to share to all... Well, once you have all four going and then you just hit that like button with the arrow... Yeah. It makes it so much better.
0: Yeah. Well, Whoever
1: invented that, bless them.
0: Good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Richard, thanks for doing this. Congratulations on Thank a big you. step forward. It's a huge ordeal. And I think that uh, you're going to conduct yourself with uh, integrity and you're going to respect the process and uh, you're going to give voters a reason to vote for you, not against somebody else. And that's – Right. I think that's the uh, – the markings of a, of a varsity candidate is when they give them a reason to come out and say, hey, listen, I know this guy. I know where he stands on these 10 important issues. And if you can get them to recite them, then, man, you, you, you've done your job as a candidate, and I know you will because we'll see you out knocking doors in the dead of winter uh, when <coughs> nobody else wants to do that, and it's going to be cold and frigid. Um, but congratulations to you. I'm excited for to, to follow you and your career ahead. Um, so, any parting thoughts?
1: Um, I am running for delegate in District 24 with that very particular platform that would revolutionize Maryland's uh, housing, transit, and environmental policies. Uh, I want to join the Baltimore City House delegation as an associate member. <laughs> I enjoy endorsements from. Most of the insurgent candidates from the Baltimore City Council races, so I have, and I currently live in Baltimore, uh, Johns Hopkins student. I have a very credible claim that I'd be an ally and a supporter of the city. Uh, I wanna join the Mass Transit Caucus. I wanna form a progressive caucus. And you get three votes in your district. I only want one.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not going to spend loads of time attacking the incumbents. Or the other candidates, you get three votes. You know what I stand for? I only need one vote.
0: Well, one vote, you could win by a vote, maybe two. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Or you could win big. I don't know how this thing is going to go down, but I got to tell you, I'm going to be following it closely. And When these statewide campaigns happen, that's when the media kicks in overdrive. So Richard Elliott running for state delegate for now in District 24. We'll see where that takes you. But uh, I appreciate you coming on to A Minor Detail podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Enjoy your night. Thanks you for too. everybody listening.
0: Thank you. Send me your feedback on the show. Email me at ryan at aminordetail.com, or you can text me at 301 991 I'll read your comments during our next podcast. Visit In Like A Minor Detail on Facebook and Twitter, at a detail, and that's with an E, not an O. And of course, visit aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you around.